This is Unleash Africa, the place to find relevant news and discussion about the growth and development of the countries in Africa. I'm your co-host, Zach Smith. Soon we'll be joined by our host, John Akili, author of Unleashed, a new paradigm of African trade with the world. In this episode, we celebrate a milestone, making this our 50th podcast. We also begin a new series covering governance competency and why John believes this is one of the key elements that will help African countries achieve economic prosperity. Without further ado, welcome, John. Hello, Unleash listeners. Uh, welcome to another episode of Unleash Africa podcast. And thank you, Zachra, for uh, the intro. We we are just we are on a particular subject that is near and dear to me personally, and we talked about it last uh, episode, which is governance competency. Uh, governance competency is about a government making the right choices hiring the right people. It's about a government um, searching out ways in which it can execute policy in a way that brings redress to challenges facing their nation. So governance competency is the currently the bridge too far. For most of African countries, uh, we always use the exception uh, when we make uh, that brush, that broad brush statement, because there are exceptions. Um, you know, uh, Rwanda is a great exception because in Rwanda you see governance competency at work. I mean, not all, not everyone agrees with Rwanda. Not everyone agrees with Park Chung Hee and how he brought South Korea uh, from the depths of poverty into what is now one of the top 15 industrialized countries, top 15 uh, highest uh, gross domestic product uh, in the world. Uh, South Korea, a little bit, little bit is South Korea, the little engine that can. Uh, South Korea has gone from being poorer than numerous African countries in 1960 to, the, to today uh, bearing a per capita income in the 30,000 range and uh, also a $2 trillion economy. M- that's just massive growth from a country of 50, 60 million people and a tiny country at that with no raw materials. So governance competency. If anyone wants to talk about why the Asians have succeeded and Africans have not, you have to talk about governance competency, okay? I said governance competency is the ability of a government to make the right choices, to execute the right policies, to seek the right ideas, to empower its people, her people, if you will, to rise up, take responsibility for extricating their country from poverty. What we have today in African countries is the one-man band. Okay, somebody gets into power, starts to travel here, there, and all everywhere, going to beg money, going to, you know, they, suddenly they they become a pseudo king. You know, they are going to single-handedly whip everything, turn everything around. 
Meanwhile, packing a coterie of uh, hangers-on that they put in various positions in the government. And all they are there to do is to suck out the life, the financial and economic life of their people. That is not gov- That is the antithesis of governance competency. Governance competency usually boils down to a leader surrounded by very highly competent, motivated, patriotic leaders who take their positions, their responsibilities seriously and they go out and execute their portfolio. That is what happened in uh, Singapore. I, you know, I've written about Singaporean, uh, the Singaporean miracle, and I use the term super ministers. Go Keng Sui was a super minister. This, this man was instrumental in creating the, the uh, Economic Development Board. You know, Go Keng Sui, along with the, in, with the guardians and the cooperation and the working of all the other ministers, created an economic engine that has made Singapore one of the top three per capita income earners in the world. GDP per capita in Singapore is in the $70,000 range. Mind you, it was 400 in 1963, $400, $400. And today it's in the $70,000 range. That's governance competency. And these, these folks in Singapore, they, they, were, they were whipped, wired down, you know, starched and well put together group. They were coming up with fantastic ideas, by the way, aided and abetted by the advice of a fantastic Dutch economist that had been um, that visited Singapore under the auspices of the World Bank, uh, and uh, Winsemius um, was instrumental in turning Singapore to export-oriented industrialization. Governance competency, whereas African countries have been mired, it's like it, it's it's mind-boggling. The degree of darkness, the degree of blindness that pervades the echelons of leadership in the African continent. It's it's mind-boggling. It's like they live in another planet. They cannot see what's happening in other places that have undergone the same road that they need to go through from poverty, from impoverishment to prosperity. If you want to be successful, study success. If you want to be poor, study poverty. Right now, African countries are studying poverty rather than success. The path is there. It's been laid down by numerous countries. It is incredible that Africans have not bought just just hunkered down to see what they can glean from those that have done it and done it successfully. Governance competency 
is the single last last week last you know episode we talked about governance competency in relation to how the Chinese or China through the inspiration of Deng Xiaoping. Deng Xiaoping did not do it himself. He had a body of leaders that enabled him to turn around this giant of a country, 1.3 billion, over 1 billion people. Now 1.3 billion people. But it was governance competency. So we talked about governance competency relative to China. How the fact that uh, Deng Xiaoping was being submerged by the gang of four that wanted to, you know, continue the path of uh, Chairman Mao's disastrous economic policies. And he was aided and abetted by leaders, leaders from the police, the military, the civil society of China, got together and removed the gang of four in order to allow air and light of Deng Xiaoping's ideas to manifest, if you will, to flourish. What is the result? A country that was at 105 per capita income in 1960 is now at 12,000, 15,000 in 2020. And most of this happened within 30 years, from 1978, when Deng Xiaoping took over the leadership of China. A lot can be done, but Africans continue to waste year after year doing absolutely very little. You know, when we say Africans, again, it's a broad uh, brush stroke because we do have examples that are, you know, managing their affairs. Uh, Botswana is one, and and the uh, mechanism that Botswana is using is just solid, good governance, conservative governance, smart governance. And Rwanda is doing radically different uh, governance approach to what has been, you know, what has been the norm or the norm uh, in most African countries since independence. They are actually using ideas that they've seen, that they've studied, that they've uh, glimpsed from that of other people's success, other nations' success. Um, they, are, they are pushing export-oriented industrialization to create jobs, to produce goods and services that they can sell in the world market. They are also transforming their country, you know, in structural ways, improving agriculture to produce food for Rwandans. The process of transformation is easy. Once you have people who are committed, determined, willing to risk life and limb for the success and welfare of their country. Process is easy. For instance, there is no reason that Africans cannot promote export-oriented industrialization. No reason. Nothing stops every African country from using its cheap labor to produce goods for sale in other parts of the world. Instead, most African countries 
are doing the reverse. They are promoting their countries as a place for people to bring things to sell. The poorest countries in the world are supposed to be supporting the richest countries in the world. How does that make sense? If you are the poorest, why are you supporting industries in the richest countries? The richest countries need things that they cannot produce or choose not to produce to support the production of. Why are African countries not looking for the things that richer countries around the world need so they can deliver those things to their markets at an advantageous price with comparable quality? Why, why not? That has been the path for economic development, economic success, or success of nations throughout the history of the world. There are structural processes that need to be implemented. The promotion of export-oriented industrialization really involves lifting society to a different plane with leadership taking the bull by the horn, if you will. I use the term uh, cultural centers. I mean, it's not a term that I coined, but you know, it's, it's, it's a term that's, that's being used. Cultural centers. In Singapore, the government of Singapore used cultural centers to disseminate ideas and thought processes that the government was engaging in to determine and glean support from the populace. African countries should use, and they can, cultural centers. I mean, cultural centers are a purposeful way to inform the public of the direction that government is go wants to go and to gain their buy-in. You know, you can set up cultural centers in a way that benefits the economy as well. I mean, we'll delve into this at great length in other um, you know, coming episodes. But cultural centers is one way to inform people about the opportunity for export-oriented industrialization. Of course, the government can also, uh, you know, use other means to communicate that it's interested in having its people take uh, vigorous effort, involvement, action to begin to produce goods and services for export to the world. Uh, obviously, the government has to take the lead in doing market research and providing information so that businesses, entrepreneurs who are looking to move in that direction have resources, information resources uh, that they can um, uh, you know, count on to guide their decisions and to guide the direction that they are trying to go in. It is crucial, it is huge that Africans begin to look at resources that are available to each country and to be able to um, tap those resources and uh, use those resources, maximize them in a way that brings the greatest benefit, fruitfulness to each of their countries. You know, cultural centers is one. Changing from um, import-oriented industrialization or import substitution industrialization to export-oriented industrialization. That's a huge umbrella 
right? Because it involves so many facets building on uh, the, the tourism trade. There are elements that are available to African countries today. Elements of policy, strategy, that, that can be implemented immediately by virtually any country that desires to do so, to begin to tap on the energy of their people to drive the train of economic emancipation. Hugely, hugely important. And governance competency is at the center of anything that African countries can do to extricate themselves from poverty and to lift their people into self-sufficiency. Eschew the begging bowl because you cannot use, you cannot go from country to country begging money and use that as a means for development. Doesn't work. Western countries, China and the rest of whichever country is interested in the success of African countries must stop handing out free money to African countries. Aid should now be constricted to areas and issues that are of critical necessity, such as, you know, healthcare, water supply, food. Those should be the only areas that aid resources are directed to and not handed to the government either, but rather handed to, um, you know, organizations on the ground that can make use those resources to transform some of the areas that are now weighing down the country's largely poor citizens. Bring direct benefits to the citizens by improving health care, by improving uh, water supply, so as to reduce the incidence of disease, and also by providing, um, you know, stable sources of uh, food supply through better farming, through improved farming, food storage, distribution. That's it. That is the only areas aid money should be directed for. The rest of it should be left for the government of the day, the government of the time, to fend for itself. If it cannot fend for itself, then it doesn't, there's no need for it to be a government. It do, there's no absolutely zero use for such government. A government that gets up and goes hand in hand, going around the world begging, it's not a government that can be trusted with anything. And, and all these international donors have to learn that continuing to provide money, so-called aid, is not a path for economic success of African states. And they should stop doing it. Forthwith, they should cut that off and, and publicize that they're cutting it off. Because until Africans realize that they cannot depend on anybody for financial economic success, they will not turn themselves to the task at hand to turn over every rock, read every book, learn every idea, listen to every potential uh, source of good ideas in order to extricate their countries from poverty. First, cut off the free money which does nothing for the people and allow these governments to fend for themselves. Yes, you know, a way should be found to make sure that the 
terrible governance of the, these governments does not cause great loss of life and extrapolate, you know, and make the situation even worse, but rather provide necessary support, whether it's through healthcare, whether it's through, uh, you know, clean water, whether it's through food, ensure that those crucial elements that the poor people in, the, in these countries need in order to not perish, are available to them, however means it can be made available, while at the same time starving the government of monies that they are passing on to their various uh, and sundry uh, cohorts who are draining their societies of much-needed capital, capital from raw material uh, exports, capital from deals that are made for oil, for iron ore, for various and sundry gold, raw materials that African countries sell to the world. It is crucial that Africans begin to concentrate on governance competency because it is only true governance competency that the tide will turn. Only true governance competency that Africans will begin to realize that they can actually do these things themselves and don't need externalities. They can actually do a better job of managing their people, of creating an environment of prosperity, of economic growth, of development through export-oriented industrialization. Thank you for joining us today. Share us with your friends. Share us with your audience, uh, your social media group. Uh, share us wherever people are, who are interested in talking about the ideas that we are espousing here at Unleash Africa podcast. Look forward to having you again. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this month's podcast. Please visit us online at unleashafricantrade.com slash podcast and stay up to date with all of our latest episodes so you can hear unique, exciting, and transformative ideas about trade between African countries and the world. The Unleash Africa podcast is produced every month. It serves as a continuing conversation about African countries as a viable trading partner in the global economy in order to add jobs, increase wealth, and promote understanding between Africa and the world. Show notes for today's podcast can also be found at UnleashAfricanTrade.com. There you can follow John and the Unleash Africa podcast team on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, YouTube, and Instagram. You can also purchase John's book, Unleashed, A New Paradigm of African Trade with the World. Get automatic updates by adding the Unleashed Africa podcast to your favorite RSS feed or podcast client such as iTunes or Stitcher, or follow us on SoundCloud. Join us next month for another episode of Unleash Africa. Until then, live well and be prosperous. And check us out at UnleashAfricanTrade.com.